Welcome to War Stories from the Womb. I'm your host, Paulette Kamenica. Many women enter pregnancy coming from a life that feels firmly under their control. That was the case for today's guest, whose past experience in the world led her to make very detailed plans for her home birth. But the stars did not align, and what started out as a home birth ended with a hospital birth attended by a life-threatening case of eclampsia. This was an intense experience, and my guest and her son are lucky to have survived. She described her second delivery as more dramatic than the first, and she's not wrong. The chaos of these births required some significant processing. She has come out on the other side of these challenging experiences with two beautiful children and a stronger sense of self. After we spoke, I went back into the interview and more fully described some of the medical issues we touched on. I also have the insights of a fantastic maternal fetal medicine doctor to give us some context. Let's listen to this amazing story. Hi, welcome to the show. Can you tell us your name and where you're from? Hi, my name is Jules Tess. I'm from Toronto, Canada, but I live in Cannes, France right now. Oh, nice. Lovely. Yeah. And how many kids do you have? I have two little boys, Oslo's five and Louis is three. Oh, wow. Nice. Those are good names. Thanks. So many people come to pregnancy with an idea of what it's going to be like before they actually embark on it. Um, What were your ideas about what it would be like? Yeah. So when I first became pregnant, I think I was a bit of an idealist and I just thought pregnancy was going to be amazing. The first couple months were wonderful. I'd always wanted to be a mom. So I just fully embraced the pregnancy. And then as it unfolded, obviously symptoms come up, which are normal, but it sort of changed my perception of how pregnancy can be. But I still kept going with this believing that the pregnancy and the birth will be really beautiful. And so I started planning for a home birth, really down to like every detail, ensuring that the expectations I had of this pregnancy and birth would be the complete dream. Wait, tell me about a home birth. What do you need for that? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So in France, it's pretty different than what I thought it would be like in North America. So it's not really supported by the medical system in France as much as it is in Canada and the U.S. So when I went to Google home births in the south of France, there was one registered midwife for the entire department. And so I immediately contacted her. And at that time, I didn't actually speak hardly any French. So I was like, hey, this has to work. If like, it'll only work basically if she speaks English. Yeah. Um, And so I contacted her and luckily she did speak English. And basically she is there to assist in the birth, but you have to kind of supply your home with all of the medical stuff. She doesn't do this. So In France, you have to register with a medical supply company, and they basically deliver to your front door a level one ER room, basically. So there's oxygen, there's all the medications you might need if there's an emergency. But like I said, I was planning my perfect birth. So it literally just, I stuck it in the corner of our bedroom, and it just sort of collected dust over the months, and I didn't even really think about it. And then apart from that, it's just whatever you want to make comfortable. So for me, it meant like putting up birth affirmations all over the walls. I had like a mattress for the floor, the bathtub. I had all this stuff prepared just to make myself comfortable. Yeah. And then when it's time, you just basically call the midwife up and she comes to your house. Wow. I feel like that's pretty brave. That's like a, that feels like a spirit of adventure. Yeah. 
sometimes I look back and think, what was I thinking? Because <laughs> because I wasn't actually that prepared. I mean, I think I was just so excited to do it and to to kind of, you know, give birth and be a mom. I didn't really think much about the process of laboring in terms of, okay, well, what happens if I'm in uncontrollable pain or something goes wrong? Pain, yeah. Pain's a tricky one to plan for, right? Because it's impossible yeah. to have a sense of what it will be like. So exactly, you know, the, you're, you're in fair ground there. Cause like, how could you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So did you get pregnant easily? Yeah. So the, the first time took about five months, which I know for many of my friends and people's stories is, is quite short, but when you're going through it, it felt really long. And for me, I never actually tracked my periods or ovulation. So it was sort of the first time I was understanding my body and like the cycle and the timing. Yeah. But yeah, I took pregnancy tests every month, not really knowing, but once you become pregnant, you instantly know. So yeah. when I did that test, I was like, okay, I definitely felt it that time. And then the second time I got pregnant with my second son, one year after um, I gave birth to my first, so really close together. And I got pregnant the first try. It was, it shocked me. Yeah. I think our expectation is because you're told, you know, as a teenager, you're, you're going to get pregnant instantly. And so yeah. I can see that in the five month span, every month that you're not pregnant, you don't know how long that's going to go on. Right. So exactly. it's a stressful, it's a stressful thing. And uh, I totally relate to the idea of like, well, now we're not preventing pregnancy. Obviously I'll be pregnant. Yeah. That's right? the like, thing. It, it'll yeah. be immediate. Well, so I'm glad it was, you know, relatively quick, even though it didn't feel that way. Yeah. Um, and then with your first one, how was the pregnancy itself? So the pregnancy was pretty easy going. I think it was quite normal. I just had some like all day morning sickness, which um, there's not much you can really do, but I was really healthy. My levels were great. That's how I was allowed to have the home birth because you have to be stable. Um, everything has to be fine. So did you have an OB somewhere that you were like going to check in with? Uh, I did for the first couple of months. And then mm -hmm. after... I strictly just went to the midwife and then to get any um, uh, ultrasounds, you have to go to a separate doctor to do yeah. that. So they, they monitor the baby, but it was, it was pretty natural in terms of the care. Like there was no um, OBGYN monitoring me. It sounds like it's all pretty smooth sailing. And then let's talk about the birth. How did you know what happened? You know, where were you? So it was the end of September and the week leading up to that, everyone everyone was talking about this like super red moon. There was like this lunar eclipse. So all these French people, because they're always really big on the moon and, and full moons, kept saying, oh, your baby's going to be coming really soon. But it was like a week early. And so I thought, no, 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 like I've planned this. He's not coming <laughs> a week early. And the night of the full moon, I started to feel the surges. And I kind of was in a little bit of denial that it was happening. But by at about 5 a.m., I was like, okay, this is actually happening. You the mean main contractions? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Contractions. Yeah. Yeah. So the problem at first was that my midwife had told us a couple of weeks before that she was going to be doing a training um, out of the country. 
And so if I went into early labor, she wouldn't actually be there. And so she gave us the contact of another midwife just in case. And this midwife, we met her. She didn't speak any English and I just didn't click with her. And so the whole time I was like, it's fine. It's fine. I'm not going to like, she's not going to be there for my delivery. And so the first early stages of labor were kind of coded in this disappointment because I was not only early and I didn't feel prepared. The midwife, our midwife wasn't actually available. So I labored at home for, it was about 12 hours on my own with my husband, James And the contractions were okay. I mean, they're painful, but I could breathe through them. I did some hypnobirthing. Hypnobirthing is a birthing method that focuses on self-hypnosis and relaxation techniques to reduce the fear, anxiety, and pain often attended to childbirth. It involves breathing techniques, a focus on positive words and thoughts, and guided visualization to help relax the body before and during labor and birth. Evidence on its effectiveness is mixed. I'll link to studies in the show notes. I kind of went in and out of the bath. And then at about 5 p.m., they started to get really bad. Like I knew it was official. Like I definitely needed help at that point. So we called the second midwife, the backup midwife, and she came like maybe 30 minutes after. And she arrived and checked my cervix. And I was like, okay, I'm for sure going to be at the end. Like I've been in labor for so long. And she checked me and I was only five centimeters. And I was so upset because I just couldn't believe that I had gone through that much. And I was only halfway there. And then I continued laboring. And I had mostly back labor. So it was like a pain I never experienced. So every time I had a contraction, instead of being like in my uterus where I expected, it was all through my back and my sacrum. And she started figuring out, which obviously wasn't monitored, was that the baby was back to back with me. And so usually when you have contractions like that, it's, it's all forced to your spine. And so that doesn't sound comfortable. No. And I learned after, usually if that happens, they'll give you an epidural at the hospital because it's, it's, it's just excruciating, but I didn't have that option because I was at home. So I just had to kind of like suck it up and try and power through. And yeah, I labored at home for a total. It was, nearing 24 hours I labored at home. That sounds exhausting. So no sleep, I'm assuming. No, no sleep. No. They always say like, oh, try and take a nap if you can. But I think if you're having a natural labor with just no assistance, you just feel every contraction and you have no relief. So I didn't rest at all. Yeah. I imagine feeling like someone's pushing a spike into your back is not, you know, conducive to a nap. Yeah. So we're 24 hours in and then what happens next? So we get to 24 hours. She checks me again and I'm, I'm done. Like I'm at the end. I'm just like, get this baby out. Every like thing I learned about natural labor, about the hypnobirthing and moaning and connecting, I completely disconnected to that. And all the while she's speaking French to me. And I'm speaking English and James is in the middle trying to like translate everything. So it was, it felt very lost in translation, the whole experience. So I'm at the 24 hours. It's like nearing midnight. And I tell her, I'm like, oh, I have this urge to push. And prior to that, I was in the bathtub and my, my waters broke in the bathtub. 
And I was like, okay, this is great. Again, like the movies, you think if the waters break, your baby's going to come right away. During pregnancy, your baby is surrounded by the fluid-filled amniotic sac. When the baby's head puts pressure on the sac, your water breaks. It can happen too early, before labor, at the beginning of labor, or during labor, or they might not break on their own and the doctor breaks them in the course of delivery. According to WebMD, in about 10% of cases, your water breaks in the TV sitcom way. At the end of full term, your water breaks suddenly and contractions begin. And so she's like, okay, I'll, I'll check your cervix again, because if you have the urge to push, you're probably at 10 centimeters. So you're probably just like at the end. And she checks me and she tells me I'm at 10 centimeters, but really I'm at nine centimeters. And she tells James, like, she's at nine centimeters. I don't want to tell her because she's going to feel really discouraged. But if she has the urge to push, I'll just let her do it. I thought it was not safe to push on a cervix that wasn't ready. That's what I thought too. So I assume because she told me 10 centimeters, I could. Yeah. And so I start pushing because it felt good and I had that urge to. Yeah. And I kind of start switching positions. I'm on the floor. I'm on all fours. I'm squatting. And the baby's like not coming, obviously. And so she, I do that for about maybe 20 minutes. And she checks the heartbeat and she says, oh, the, the baby's heartbeat's actually like a little bit low. Um, I'm not really comfortable with this. I'll let you push for 10 more minutes. And if he doesn't come out, we'll probably have to go to the hospital. And it's so interesting because I was so terrified of the idea of the hospital. I was so scared to give birth there. That's why I wanted to have a home birth initially. Um, and when because, she said, because you like have not had surgery before? Or like, What about the hospital scared you? I just think I associated the hospital with only like bad things. Yeah, I had never really fair. had. Yeah, I did never had a bad experience in a hospital. Like I never, I've never had surgery. I've never really um, had to be there for anything negative. But yeah. I think because I had read all the statistics of births in France and seeing the percentage of epidurals, um, especially when people didn't want epidurals, because when I checked it, it was higher than 80%, yeah. which for me was, that scared me. Um, and then reading. So, you, about the so you thought they'd force an epidural on you? Force an epidural. And yeah. then, um, it could lead to complications for a cesarean. And yeah. that's what really scared me. So I thought if I stay at home, if I stay natural, then I'm in control yeah. of whatever happens. But what I later learned is you're you're, you can't control your body, especially yeah, yeah. in labor. It does what it does, you know? Yeah. Um, so I push for 10 more minutes and nothing's happening. And so she calls in and she's like, okay, we got to go to the hospital. And we hadn't packed a bag. We hadn't prepared in any way. So I'm just like screaming out at James to pack, you know, whatever we can, glasses and toothbrushes and yeah. a change of clothes. And we rush downstairs. So I live in um I lived in an old 300 year old village house with four stories. And so I'm at the top. No. And I have to walk down this like winding staircase down the street to get to our car. And doing that at like nine centimeters <laughs> was not ideal. And I sort of just lose control walking down the street to the car. I'm screaming. I don't care who I wake up at midnight. I just am like howling. And we drive the 10 minutes to the hospital. It feels like 30 seconds. And we arrive at the ER 
And I suddenly felt like quite calm about being at the hospital. Like it actually felt kind of nice to feel like this could be a, I'll feel safe here. Yeah. I'll have a team of support. And we arrive, we arrive to the emergency room and then they take us to the maternity ward and we're freaking out. We're like, the baby's heartbeat's really low. Like, this is really scary. And in France, the there's instead of nurses and doctors running the maternity, it's um, typically midwives. And then the, the OB usually comes in just at the end to make sure everything's okay. So as a team of amazing midwives and they check the baby, they check me and they're like, what? What are you talking about? Like, everything's fine. Baby's fine. You're great. You're actually at 10 centimeters now. So whenever you feel ready to push, go for it. And I was like, oh, okay, this, this is great. And the head midwife, I always remember her. She had like her mask on, but she had this like platinum blonde spiky hair. She was a big presence and she spoke English and she looked at me right in the eyes and she's just like, you're going to do this. You can do this. And it felt so good because it was like the first sort of clarity I had for the entire labor because before it was just running back and forth between a, a French midwife and James. And so I feel the urge to push with the next contraction and the French midwife that I had at my house, the home birth midwife was holding my one leg. James was on my other side holding my other leg and I had the midwife in between my legs and she's like, go. And so I start pushing and it feels really good. Like I, I loved the urge to push. It's almost like there was so much pain happening at the same time that you, it just focused me in on what I needed to do. And I push, I push her about 10 minutes. It's about three pushes. And she looks at me and she's like, okay, the head's out. Uh, the next push, he'll be here. And actually, we, it was a surprise. So I didn't even know it was a boy or a girl. So I was just like, yeah, okay, I'm going to meet my baby. This is amazing. And I push as hard as I can. And I start to just shake vigorously. And my teeth are chattering and my eyes are fluttering. And I look at James and I look at everyone around me and everybody's like looking at me kind of confused. And then everything goes black. And I wake up. Goosebumps. Yikes. (laughs) I'm nervous about you. Keep talking. (laughs) And uh, I wake up the next morning about eight hours later and I'm in the intensive care unit of the hospital. I wake up and there's machines all around me beeping. I have three IVs in my arm and I'm like, okay, where am I? It feels like I have a really bad hangover. So I almost forget for a second, like, like why I was here in the first place. Kind of was like, why am I like, did an accident happen? Did something go wrong? And then I kind of am triggered to remember that I was pregnant and I feel the pain in between my legs from giving birth. I lift up the covers. I check my belly. There's like no belly. There's no baby. And so I'm completely confused. I just think of the worst, like something really bad has happened to my baby. And I catch the eyes of a a nurse out of the ICU and she comes in and in her broken English, she explains to me that the baby's okay. I had a baby boy. His name is Oslo. Um, He's fine. He's with my husband, James, in the maternity ward. And 
at that point, she called the doctors um, to explain what had happened to me, as well as James to come see me. And basically what happened was while I was pushing, I was totally healthy. My levels were fine. Um, as I was pushing, my blood pressure skyrocketed and I started having a seizure. And I was basically having the symptoms of eclampsia with no preeclampsia. So what, so what does that mean? They don't know. They don't have the answers for why it happened, especially for someone so healthy during their pregnancy. I talked to a maternal fetal medicine doctor who specializes in preeclampsia research to make sense of Jules' experience. Hi, thanks so much for coming on the show. Can you introduce yourself and tell us where you're working? Hi, so my name is uh, Dr. Saroshana. I am a maternal fetal medicine specialist. So I take care of high-risk pregnant women and I work at the University of Chicago Medicine. So I'm wondering, what's the definition of eclampsia? Can someone have eclampsia without preeclampsia? Is there a linearity to that spectrum or no? Yeah, so this is a common presentation that sometimes patients can present with an eclamptic seizure. So this is, seems like what happened to this woman without having all the symptoms or even any symptoms of preeclampsia. So preeclampsia is pre, means before, something that would happen before eclampsia. So I can tell you that scientifically it's not really true because many a times patients with eclampsia can actually develop eclampsia without hypertension, without any of those classical symptoms or signs of preeclampsia such as that happened in this woman. Yeah. So it's actually not uncommon to have the eclamptic seizure suddenly out, out of the blue in the pregnancy or, or even during giving birth. And the prevalence of having the eclampsia is actually quite low. It's not, it's not that high in developed countries. It's quite high depending on where you're looking. So for example, in Haiti, in Sierra Leone, in like African nations, because of, I think, lack of prenatal care, the prevalence of eclampsia is a little bit higher, but a large majority of eclamptic seizures actually happen during pregnancy. So antepartum, but so about 60%, but 20% of them can happen intrapartum. So during labor, and yeah. this happens obviously very dramatic that the baby was just being delivered, but you can have it in your first stage, second stage of labor. And then about 20% of them can even happen after delivery. Um, and majority of them are happening in the first 24 hours of, of, of giving birth. Um, so yeah, it's a very dramatic disease and it's actually a major problem, especially in developing countries. And do we know like what chemistry underlies that, that issue? Well, so there's lots of hypotheses about preeclampsia in terms of it's a vascular dysfunction uh, problem. So in the brain, people believe that it's like because of sometimes when you have elevated blood pressures, and in this case, she didn't have it, but the it can cause like vasogenic edema. So there can be hemorrhages and there can be edema and there can be something called press, which is just reversible posterior brain edema. So it's mostly from edema and hemorrhage that the women can have a seizure. Okay, so it sounds like bleeding in the brain or swelling in the brain can be the issue here. And so they monitored me. I stayed in the ICU for four days. They checked my vitals. They were really scared. I had brain damage um, from lack of oxygen. After I everything went black and I passed out, um, I flatlined. And that's terrifying. Uh, yeah. The most terrifying was just for James because he was just there witnessing all of this, not knowing yeah. what happened. Yeah. So the midwife saved Oslo's life because she actually, without me knowing, she cut an episiotomy in me. And so she had enough room um, 
as I was convulsing, his body was being sucked back into mine. Oh my God. And she had enough time to just stick her fingers underneath his armpit and yank him out. They cut the cord. They cleaned him up. They gave him to James and said, you go out in the hallway and you will call you in like, and then they rushed the emergency team in and they, for an hour and a half, they were reviving me. And then finally I stabilized and they had a ventilator um, helping me to breathe. Wow. Yeah, it's intense. <laughs> it sounds like these seizures can be quite dangerous. And the danger is that you could have some sort of cerebral issue or what's the danger? So the danger is from the seizure. There's yeah. a massive danger that you can aspirate. So we've had patients and she had cardiac arrest, seems like, which obviously can lead to death. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she was lucky that she, I'm sure that they had very good services there that she was resuscitated and brought back. Um, so you can have aspiration, you can have cardiac arrest, you can have brain bleed. Um, so you can bleed in your brain. Some people can also have stroke. So that can lead to long-term neurological damage. Um, the majority of patients, I would agree with eclampsia, actually recover because you can give the medications, control their blood pressures. Magnesium is a common medication that is used to, to prevent recurrent seizures. You can deliver them and majority of the patients will recover. But eclampsia is actually a major cause of maternal death yeah. in developing countries. So it's a very serious problem. So she was actually, frankly, really lucky. And also she didn't have any other features of preeclampsia. So you can have other things along with eclampsia. So you can have help syndrome. You can have other things. So yeah, I mean, she, she escaped in cardiac arrest, which is pretty phenomenal. So she's quite lucky. Wow. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, my first thought is, thank God you were at the hospital. I know. Right? What would have happened on the fourth floor of your old house, right? These are all the questions that still play in my mind because you just wonder what would happen. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. And maybe because you're so healthy, you were, that you were able to recover from this kind of shocking thing that happened to your body. Yeah, because the miracle of it all was I had no like symptoms after I had no effects from it. There was nothing left. Like my, my levels were fine. Three days later, I could walk, I could stand. My brain activity was fine. They were scared about, um, the organs can sometimes be affected after like your kidneys and your liver. Those were all fine. So for me, it was really jarring because something like really traumatic had happened, but I had no like lasting effects. Yeah. So it was hard to accept that anything had happened really. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you're in the ICU for five days, did you say? Four days? Yeah. It was yeah, four nights, five days on the fifth day. I could I could go down to the maternity. And then when were you released from the hospital? Eight days. I was in the hospital for eight days. That seems both long and not long enough. So on the eighth day, you just walk out with Oslo? Yeah, it's it felt very strange because it felt like they had checked all of my like physical and medical, but they hadn't checked my mental state. So in my head, I'm going, are they seriously sending me home? Yeah. Because I felt like such a disconnect between myself and the baby. I was struggling to breastfeed. I was just struggling to, to make sense of what had happened. And I just was like, should I say something? Like I, sh I, I shouldn't be going home yet. And it's, it's interesting. James took a video of me leaving the hospital and I look like kind of like a Bambi. Like I'm just like coming out for the first time and, my 
I'm like squinting and all my senses are being like, you know, attuned, like the smell of the cigarettes, the sun, the ambulances, everything was like too much for me. It was such a strange experience to be outside of the hospital, which felt so safe for me. Yeah. And so did you just go home and kind of carry on or how, I don't, I, how do you, how do you transition from that very difficult thing? So the hardest part going home was because I knew like home symbolized something so different for me now. It was always like a beautiful place for me to go to. I always felt like a foreigner in the streets of France, but home always felt like such a cozy, nice place to retreat to. And now as soon as I came home, I was like, I don't like this place anymore because it had the lasting feeling that I was meant to have a home birth and I didn't. So yeah. it was sort of coded in this failure and shame. Um, James did an amazing job of like cleaning everything up. So there was no like remnants of the yeah. home birth left, yeah. but I still had this feeling. Um, and yeah, we just went back to normal life because I didn't have any like lasting physical effects of the birth and like me dying and coming back and all of this, I could very easily just sort of like deny that that trauma even happened. And I just sort of like buried it and was like, okay, everything's fine. Like my baby's beautiful and healthy. Our, I want our life to go back to how it was before, just like, you know, a happy young couple. So yeah, I tried my best to sort of make it look like everything was okay. Women who don't undergo that kind of traumatic experience, but have their own sort of expectations dashed in different ways, have a hard time going home. Yeah. So I can't even imagine how do you kind of come to grips with this thing that has happened? So when we came home, my mom had flown in from uh, Canada to help us. And everybody that came to visit us, like, I think the hardest part was everybody just had known about what had happened. But I always say, like, a, a new baby trumps whether you had a good birth or a bad birth. Yeah. You're doing okay or not. And it just felt very fake, all of it. You know, I hear another guest was coming over. I put on some clothes I'd really want to just stay in my pajamas and yeah. like try and put some makeup on and brush my hair. And it, I just didn't feel like myself. So I think that sort of helped me in a way to sort of have this facade for guests because I didn't feel like myself. I didn't even look like myself. And so we just kind of pretended we played house for a while, like everything was fine. And, and the good thing is the baby was totally healthy. So I'm grateful for that because it just was, lasting effect in James and I that we were the only ones that really knew about the trauma in detail. Yep. And so whenever a guest would come, we just be like, here's our baby. Like yeah. everything looks great. But it it became a lot. And I was struggling so much with breastfeeding because I didn't breastfeed him for the first four days. And so we tried, but it just felt so foreign to me because I didn't get to do it from the beginning. Well, also, and, I would think your milk comes in and then it, it goes away, right? Yeah. So I, I had colostrum for the first three days and then I felt my milk come in in the first day. And so that day they like tried to bring the baby to me. The hardest part about being in the hospital, though, was I was in the ICU and he was in maternity and babies aren't allowed in the ICU. And yep. 
ICU patients aren't allowed in maternity. So it, I'd wait hours and hours every day just to find a room we could meet at that was sort yeah. of neutral ground. And I really only got to see him like once a day. And James spent the whole time with him in the maternity. He was like the mom from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. At what point do you um, like feel yourself? Like, how do you kind of get back to yourself? So it took uh, years. So my son's five now. I wouldn't say I got back into my body until like really this year because I like I made an intentional decision to feel it and get back into it because pregnancies are a really good ways to sort of like bandage over any wounds and any pain. So when Oslo turned one year old, my husband and I decided to try for another baby. And for me, it was almost like because I was in so much denial about the trauma, it's like I never got to feel it fully. I kind of just like pushed it, pushed it. And so when I got pregnant the second time, I kind of thought, oh, this is ideal because I never actually have to get out of um, my body. I breastfed for a year and your body's amazing when it's going through the breastfeeding. Like everything just feels great. At least it did for me. Once I had worked out sort of the issues with breastfeeding, I really enjoyed the experience. And then we decided to get pregnant again. And I gave myself 10 days, like between deciding to wean Oslo and getting pregnant was 10 days. So I never really got back into my body before I became pregnant again. Do, do you and James have a conversation about we're worried this will happen again or? He was terrified. I was, I think because I was in just such disassociation with the trauma, I didn't even think about it. Like I okay. knew I wouldn't, I knew I wouldn't have a home birth again. I didn't even want one. Yeah. But, and also I was considered high risk, yeah. even though again, I had no symptoms or anything. They just had to keep an eye on me. But yeah, I, I didn't really think about it. He was really scared. He was extra precautious with all of that. And for me, I was like, oh, it, it's a fluke. It won't happen again. But the the birth of my second son almost trumps Oslo's in drama. I was like, I'm not made to have birth. How like, can that be? I, how, that, that doesn't seem possible. But also, yeah. I mean, like the thing that's hard is the thing you described in the beginning of this, which is because you don't know what caused this and like what the seed is, it's hard yeah. to avoid, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I think women are so good at just having their survival tactics yeah. and going so far into that. And for me, that's also like the way I was raised when anything big and emotional happens, you just sort of act like it doesn't. And so for me, it was really embedded in my, yeah, in the way I, I am. That and is a coping so mechanism. It's huge. Yeah. yeah. And so when you asked me if I, like, when did I feel back in my body? It was more this year because I told myself, like, I cannot disassociate from this anymore. I have to feel it. Yeah. That's why the healing process is so hard. And I think it's it's why it's so hard to be a mom because you do have to allow yourself to to heal from whatever trauma you've experienced. Yeah. And there's not that much space if you're lucky enough to bring the child home. Right. Yeah. Then you're instantly into up every three hours. Motherhood. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So how was the second pregnancy? So the second pregnancy was just like the first. It I was so healthy. I had the normal symptoms of just nausea. 
acid reflux, Charlie horses and things like that, but really amazing. And I always felt just so good pregnant. It made, I don't know, it just made me feel I was actually in my body. And it was really nice the second time because I feel like I wasn't in my body that entire year after I gave birth to Oslo. So to be back to growing life again, it did feel like it filled, it, it felt like it filled a void um, again, which was really nice. I loved it. And so during that process, I knew I couldn't have a home birth. So we found this amazing doctor, this OB, who spoke English and French, so it was perfect for us. He worked at this um, amazing hospital in Nice called Lanval. It's like a private hospital with a sea view. So I was like, if I can look at the Mediterranean Sea and give birth in a hospital, I'm happy. I was really excited actually to have a hospital birth. And I had to be monitored every single week to make sure my numbers were fine. They didn't want to repeat what had happened with Oslo. And so I had to see this um, amazing midwife, Nadej, every week. She came to my house and we became quite close. It was it was really nice. She did some home births, but um, for my sake, it was just to, to make sure I was healthy. And my baby was due the week after my birthday. So my birthday is July 3rd. He was due like, I think July 10th or something. And it was on my birthday. I woke up and I had contractions and I was like, no, (laughs) I don't want my baby on my birthday. I kept thinking, I was like, moms never get a day. So like, I, I don't, I'm not giving on my birthday, but again, I was in denial about the whole thing. So, um, So I start having pretty intense contractions. I'm only like two hours in. We call my in-laws to pick up my son, Oslo, who's like, he's like 20 months at this time. So he was really little. And I call Nadej, my midwife, to say, I think I'm in labor. Can you come over and just like check? Because I, I still had the fear at the hospital that if I wasn't in enough, um, like if I wasn't in a- I waited enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that can always cause for intervention. Because again, yeah. I didn't want to have an epidural. I just wanted a natural birth. So she came over like 30 minutes later and she checks me and she's like, you're at seven centimeters. You need to get to the hospital now, which is if there's no traffic, it's like a 30 minute drive. If there's traffic, it can be like an hour. So we're panicking and I'm like, oh my God, okay, this, we're doing it. James goes and gets the car. I'm screaming down the street. It's in the middle of the day. People are passing by and French people, they're like yelling, Felicitation. They're like screaming congratulations at me. (laughs) Just like, oh my God. So I get to the car and I tell her I can't get in the car. Like I feel he's, he's here. I can't get in the car. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And she's like, okay, well you have to decide. I don't know. And so I was like, you have to check me again. And so she goes, well, we have to go back to the house. We walk all the way back the street. She checks me. I baby's there. Head is there. Wow. That was in a course of like 10 minutes. I went from seven centimeters to fully dilated. So James goes back to park the car And I go up a flight of stairs and I can't decide where to have this baby. So it's still going in my head. Okay, where am I going to have this baby? And I decide to just make a little nest 
on the landing in between the stairs going up and going down outside of the guest room. I don't know why I chose that spot. It's like 35 degrees Celsius. I'm sweating and I just want to have this baby. And I lie on the floor. James arrives back at the house. He stays by my head. And Nadej is like crouching in between stairwells. And she's like, whenever you want to push, you can push. Like he's here. We are not going to the hospital. And I was like, really calm. It was so strange. Like I wasn't stressed about being at home. I was just like, here we go. We're doing it. And I didn't know that James had called the ambulance while he was in the car because he was terrified that something bad would happen. And so he's like, I'm just going to call the ambulance just in case something happens. They can take her. So in between pushing, I hear this massive bang on the door and I'm like, who's knocking on the door? I'm giving birth. And open, they open the door and eight people come. There wow. is a doctor. There are two nurses. There's firemen. They all come up. They want to take me away. And my midwife was like, no, 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 no. She's giving birth. Like, be quiet. Watch. And so I have all these people going up the stairs, down the stairs, watching me. I'm like, Where, what is happening? <laughs> Just legs open. And I just don't this, even care. This doesn't care. seem like part of the plan. No, this is not a part of the plan. I was meant to be birthing to meditative music, watching, watching the sea yeah. with my husband and my OP. This was not a part of the plan. And so she's like, she shuts everybody up. They're all watching me. And she's like, she looks in my eyes and she goes, you get this baby out. And so I just push as hard as I can. And he comes out and I can see I'm looking, everybody's eyes are just like open. They've never witnessed a, like a normal birth because yeah. obviously they're emergency service workers. So for them, this was like so new and I push him out like really, really fast. He comes out, he goes on my chest and the amazing part was the firefighter. She was recording the whole oh, thing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I have it on video and James and I are just like crying. And I just, I got that moment because for me, the hardest part with Oslo, it wasn't waking up in the ICU. It wasn't going through all the process of all the medical stuff. It was really not having that moment with him that I'd worked so hard to have him on my chest and to connect with him. And so I call it my stolen moment. And so the fact that I could get that with Louis was incredible. It was all I wanted. And so, you know, we spend like 30 seconds holding him and the uh, firefighters and the doctors like, okay, LA, like we got to get her to the hospital. And I was like, can't I just stay here? Like, can't I have my home birth and just go back in my bed with my baby? And they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow it. And so they carried me down all the flights of stairs, put me on a gurney and put me in the ambulance and took me with Louis to the hospital. So that was kind of the, the bummer of it all was I got my home birth, but I didn't actually get to have the benefits of staying at home. Um, I'm ambivalent about them taking you away. On the one hand, mm. like, thank God. Yeah. On the other hand, it seems like you've passed the scary threshold. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I get why they did it, but yeah. 
And I think it just taught me a lot about expectations and things with birth. Like it doesn't matter how much we plan what we want. Our bodies just really lose control and you just have to kind of go with the flow and be open to whatever happens because, you know, I had planned my, both my births pretty <laughs> down to the, down to every detail and, and neither of them went to plan, which, you know, it taught me a lot. Yeah. It's a good lesson at the threshold of, of motherhood. Yeah. Because, you know, the period in which you are in control of things is now officially over. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. You just have to like, as they say, ride the wave because seriously, that is, that is motherhood. So I guess it prepared me that way. What, so you, when you go to the hospital, do they release you? Like how long do you have to stay this time? So typically in France, it's uh, three or four days. But it was pretty crazy because I'm in the back of the ambulance and I'm with the doctor and um, nurse. And uh, they're just like on their phones watching videos. I'm going, are you kidding me? And I'm there like bump. I'm in so much pain because you're just bumping on this road. And all the streets here are like ancient. So it's not like a smooth, nice highway. And I have my baby and I felt this urge to push again. And obviously with Oslo's birth, I didn't know what it was like to birth a placenta, to have the yeah. placenta come out. And I'm like, excuse me, why? I was like, I think the placenta is like coming. And she kind of looks at like under the sheets and she goes, no, no, you have to wait until we get to the hospital to do that. And I go, uh, no, 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 I think it's coming. <laughs> and then it just, it's honestly, it was the most bizarre sensation because it just comes out. And then I was like, I think it, I think it's out. And she looked, she's like, yeah. And I just like sat with the placenta in between my legs as we rode to the hospital. Just so glamorous. <laughs> so funny for her to say no wait. Yeah. Right. It's very French though. Just like you're, no, that's not accommodating of you. So you're just going to wait till it's fine for us. It's like, well, no, it doesn't, my body doesn't work that way. So Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So did they make you stay for three days once you got there? Yeah. So I had to stay, I think it was three days, which actually was kind of nice because <laughs> our house is in air conditioned and in the summer it's so hot and the hospital is air conditioned. It was nice to have my meals brought to me and, and we did plan to be at the hospital anyway. So right. it was okay. Like I, I, I was prepared for that. Yeah. So we just kind of took it as like a mini holiday. And at that point we were already parents to a toddler. So it was actually kind of a nice little getaway for us with our new yeah. baby. Yeah. So that's nice. Wow. That is some, some entrance into parenthood for you. <laughs> yes. It sounds like you're, you're feeling more connected and you're, you found ways to kind of overcome the trauma. Yeah. This year, I mean, I think for all of us, 2020 and being in a pandemic was really difficult. I think it shone a light on all of the parts of us that we were trying to hide away from because we had so much more time on our hands. Like for me, I had a small business that I ended up closing down this year. So I wasn't working. I had this time to sort of just really sit with myself and I no longer kind of felt the need to hide. And I basically spent the year just getting over it and, and healing from it in different ways. We had visited a therapist um, five months after Oslo was born. I didn't want to, but James kind of after a while was like, I think I need to speak to someone and I think you should as well. And so that sort of 
opened the door to the healing process. It started to give me a language for the trauma. So the the stolen moment, the therapist um, gave that to me, which was really helpful. Because I think it's really hard when you go through a trauma, whether it's a birth trauma or any other, just to find the words to explain how you feel because it's all new. Right. You know, most of us have never experienced that kind of um, ex- like event before where it leaves you really scarred. So this year for me has been telling my story more and finding the words to explain it, but also just sitting with it and being okay with what happened. Yeah, it's definitely a process. For me, I couldn't say that I died. Like I had buried that so much, I didn't even realize I had died. And then James told me a couple of years ago when we were talking about it as we were discussing it as a couple because we hadn't even talked about it to each other really. And when he told me, I was like, oh my God, oh, like I was in such denial about it that that had even happened, which for me now is so strange because it's not like I caused it to happen. Like it was nobody's fault. But I think when you have shame associated with it, you just don't want anything to do with, with, with the story. When I was in the early days at the hospital and they were telling me, it just didn't make any sense to me. And that's what they kept saying to James that like I had died and they had brought me back to life. And, you know, it was hard for me to even understand what that meant. I was like obsessed with Googling like near-death experiences and trying to just find like other people that had gone through that. Yeah. It's a very strange thing to, to experience. If you could go back and give yourself your younger self advice about any part of this process, what would you tell her? I think I would probably go back to when I was pregnant with Oslo I know I can't really, I'm, it's strange in the healing. I've accepted the bad and the trauma and I've learned so much. And I, I, in a lot of ways, I'm grateful for it because it's taught me so much about myself and it, it was a huge learning curve for me. But what I wish I had known during the pregnancy was that it's really a process to just like let go and to give in and let nature take over and to just accept what's happening because I was just so controlling of every aspect of it and clearly nothing went to plan. So I was totally caught off guard. And I think it would have been nicer for me to just really have given into the experience a little bit more and just let everything unfold the way it needed to without controlling it. Yeah. That's a, I feel like that's, that lesson is only learned when you don't do it. Yes. So think about like your life before kids, there aren't that many things that feel out of your control. Maybe really they are, but, but, you know, you're planning, you're, you're doing this and that to try to make things look a certain way. And for the most part, we're pretty successful at it. Yeah. It's Um, it's hard to meet that moment kind of the right way. Yeah. um, Until you don't, which is, I think like a, a a fairly universal experience, right? Yeah, definitely. And it definitely helped me now as a parent to just know that like, I can't control much. It's like, we talked about, you know, you just have to kind of allow your kids to show you and you just have to kind of go with it because we're all learning. Yeah, totally. Well, Jules, thanks so much for coming on. I know you're working on a book about this experience. So I will link to the show notes about your Instagram and get kind of updates about when that's uh, available. Yes, hopefully in the near future. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much, Dr. Rana. I will put a link for her on the warstoriesfromthewomb.com website, and you can check out the amazing things she's doing for preeclampsia research. Thanks again to Jules for sharing her story. 
If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to like and subscribe. If you'd like to share your story, go to our website and sign up. We'll be back soon with another incredible story of overcoming.